Romans 12:1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Good morning. Last weekend, we had a great Easter celebration, and afterwards, our family got together. My wife had put together a little basket of gifts for our granddaughters, and one of them, as she saw the basket, there were several nice wrapped packages, really special gifts for her, but she saw the container of bubbles, and that was the end. (laughs) She didn't care about the other gifts. All she cared about was those bubbles and making sure that we blew bubbles so she could chase them across the yard and follow those shiny, bright things until, of course, they pop and they're gone and you've got to start over. (laughs) But they're hard to resist. Well, this week we're continuing our study on spiritual gifts. We studied 1 Corinthians 12 a few weeks ago for a couple weeks, and we decided to take time to look at Romans chapter 12, which is another wonderful passage on spiritual gifts today. You see, the Lord has given every one of us who's a believer in Christ at least one unique, special spiritual gift. But what a tragedy it would be if we have a gift that we don't open, (laughs) that we just let it sit and we end up chasing bright, shiny bubbles, whatever the world throws at us, which eventually will pop and end up being nothing. The Lord wants us to open our spiritual gifts, to unwrap them, to use them for His kingdom. Every gift is given for the common good. It's given to build up the body of Christ. And every believer, we're told, is given at least one spiritual gift, a way for God to love others through us, a way to exhibit God's power to the world around us. And I'm a recipient of all your wonderful gifts that you use, and that's fabulous, but... Some of you maybe don't use your gifts very much or you don't know how you fit. You don't know how to use your gift. You don't know what your gift is. You feel a little bit out of place somehow in the body or maybe some of us misuse our gift. We have a gift, we use it, but maybe we don't use it exactly the way God wants us to. So this passage today will help us understand, number one, how to find our gift, how to be prepared to use our gifts and how to use them in a proper way so that we can find our place in the body of Christ 
so we can have the joy of being used by God to bless others so that God will be glorified through us and so the body of Christ will truly be built up together the way God designed spiritual gifts to work. So pray with me and we'll look at this passage together. Lord, thank you for each person here and that each person who's put their faith in you is given a unique, supernatural, spiritual gift with which to love others. We pray that this passage would be used by you to open up our eyes in some new and fresh ways as to what our gifts are and how we might use them more fully for the kingdom of God so that you truly might be glorified. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So first, verses 1 through 5, Paul begins by preparing us to use our gifts. We don't just jump out and use them. There's a couple of prerequisites, a couple of things that we need to have part of us to be prepared to use our gifts. The first, given in verses 1 and 2, is that we need to submit ourselves to God first. That spiritual gifts come out of our submission to Him. Notice verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a familiar passage, Romans, we're jumping into the middle of it here, but let me remind you, chapters 1 through 11 are all about what God has done for us, how He's justified us by faith, how He's imputed His righteousness to us, declared us righteous before Him, all the incredible mercy and grace of God that's been poured out on us. So starting in chapter 12, now He's saying, okay, Here's how I want you to live that out. If all that's true, what God has done for you, here's how I want you to live it out. And he begins with spiritual gifts. Because obviously that's key to who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. I like the way Ray Stedman puts it. He says this, How is the church expected to demonstrate the power of God and thus influence society? The Apostle suggests clearly that the power of the church lies in all Christians discovering and intelligently exercising the spiritual gift that was given to them when they became a member of the body of Christ. That is largely a forsaken principle today. And that's why the church is so weak. If we are ever to recover the strength God intended the church to exert in human society, it will be by a return to that simple thing the exercise of each person's spiritual gift. And the exercise of our spiritual gift begins by our submission to God. He uses this picture of laying ourselves on the altar, our bodies, submitting our bodies to Him. To lay ourselves on the altar means I'm your sacrifice. I'm offering all that I am to you, my hands, my feet, my head, my arms, my legs. All that I am, Lord, is for your purposes to use however you wish. That's what God wants us to do, is lay our bodies on the altar for His purposes. Just this week, I was talking to a friend here at Cole who was diagnosed just this week with stage 4 cancer. He felt fine all of a sudden now. He's got to face this battle, and I asked him about it, and he said, well, it's interesting. I've been praying over the last few weeks before he knew anything about this diagnosis. I've been praying for the last few weeks that God 
How do you want to use me? I'm yours. Use me any way you want. And he said to me, well, I guess this is my answer. I guess he wants to use me as I battle cancer. You see, that's that submissive heart that says, okay, Lord, I'm yours no matter what my circumstances, but I'm laying myself on the altar to be used by you in any way you choose. My body is yours, my hands, my feet, my strength. Use me. But Paul goes on in verse 2 to say, not only do we lay our bodies on the altar, but we are to lay our minds on the altar, submit our minds to Christ if we are going to be used by Him. This familiar verse, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God doesn't want just our bodies. He does want that. But He wants us, if we are to be used by God, to bring every thought captive. Let God change our thinking. He says, don't be conformed to the world. The world is shouting to us its perspective of humanity, its perspective of God, its perspective of how we are to live. And it's trying to squeeze us into that mold. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, don't let yourself be squeezed into that, but renew your minds. Let your thinking be changed. Submit your minds to God. We naturally think selfishly and sinfully about others because of how the world presses us into its mold. So Paul says, submit your minds to God's truth so you can be useful to Him. Now, we say this a lot around here, but it bears repeating. If you are going to have God's mind, if you're going to submit your mind to Him, then you have to be reading the Word of God. The world is shouting at us, as I said, its perspective of life. How are you going to get God's perspective? You've got to take on His way of thinking about us, about yourself, about humanity, about the world, about creation. And that only comes by reading the Word so we learn to see life from God's perspective. Let me just give you one example. I could give you many, many, but with regard to relationships, the world is shouting at us. You need to take care of your own rights. You need to protect yourself. You need to make sure you get taken care of first. You need to make sure that in any relationship that your needs are being met. And if it's not healthy, then you leave. And it's all about us. And the world is shouting that. But Jesus says, here's how you handle relationships. You set aside your rights. You learn to love sacrificially. You learn to give 100% and you trust God for the results. You trust God to take care of you as you give away your life. Don't protect yourself, but learn to trust me and give away your life. Now, those are two completely opposing ways of handling your relationships in your life. Who are you going to follow with your mind? Because your mind, what you believe, how you think, is how you will end up living. So, if we're going to take on God's perspective, we need to be in the Word. We need to submit our minds to Him and not be conformed to the world. And then he says, submit your wills to God. I think it's implied at the end of verse 2. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what's good and acceptable and perfect. That we submit our 
wills to Him. That we say, Lord, I want to do Your will. I want to follow You. What's good and acceptable and perfect. So the beginning place, if you're thinking about spiritual gifts, is here. I want to submit all that I am to You. My body, my mind, and my will to be at Your disposal, Lord. Now it's interesting, I just noticed this that he doesn't say anything about our emotions, our feelings, about submitting those to God. Why is that? Well, because feelings just kind of are, right? We get hit with our feelings. We, we don't control their emotions. They're just there. I'd like to think of our emotions kind of as the error message or the low battery message on maybe a device you have, a cell phone or a tablet or a laptop. And that message comes up, and if you don't deal with that message, then something bad is going to happen. (laughs) And emotions are a lot like that. They just are, but if we are handling them properly, it's if somebody says something and you find yourself reacting emotionally, maybe angry, it's a good time to say, whoa, I need to look at this error message. I need to step back and say, why am I responding in an angry way and learn to see what God might be telling you through that message. But, but we don't control our emotions. They're just are reminding us maybe that our thinking has gotten off track. I need to plug into the Lord and see what's going on inside my heart. So, submit all that we are to Him. That's the beginning point. And secondly, he says to be prepared to use our spiritual gifts, we need to have a proper view of ourselves. A proper view of ourselves. He says this, verse 3, By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, and each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He says, don't think too highly of yourselves. You see, that's one of the big problems with spiritual gifts. It's a supernatural ability. It's something God is using us in us to bless other people and it's easy to begin to take credit for that. It's easy to make it all about us. Look at this great thing I did. And to begin to be judgmental of others. Wow, you know, look, I served so well here and nobody else is serving like I am. (laughs) Or I'm such an encourager. How come nobody else is encouraging like I am? Or look at me, I'm a teacher, I get to stand in front. Nobody else really counts, only I count. You see, that kind of attitude is deadly. And so he says, don't think too highly of yourself. One thing I note here is this. He doesn't say, don't think too highly of yourself, and by the way, don't think too lowly of yourself. Watch out for low self-esteem. He doesn't say that. Interesting, because a lot of us feel like, oh gee, I'm just a nobody, I don't have anything to offer, and maybe that holds us back in using our spiritual gifts. Well, I guess I would say this. I guess as I've worked with people and as as I've looked at my own heart and my own struggles with some of those feelings, I've realized that low self-esteem almost always is really pride. Low self-esteem is really a way of saying, I can't stand the fact that I'm not as great as I think I should be. 
So I'm really mad about that. And we get down on ourselves. It's a way of showing often a, a stubborn refusal to admit that I am really bankrupt before God and I need His grace every second. You see, that's a humble, proper way to look at ourselves. Lord, yeah, I'm a sinner and I need Your grace and I need You every moment. I am bankrupt before You. And that deals, I think, with our what we call low self-esteem. So we don't have to beat ourselves up. So what's the answer? How should we view ourselves? Well, verse 3, he says, to think according to the grace given me, he says. It's according to grace. It's realizing that everything I have, if I have a gift that God uses, it's not me. It's God. It's His gift to me, and it's His empowering. And if I have any impact, it's His doing. So it's all about grace, and I can't take credit for it in any sense. I am an object of grace. Every breath, every ability, every talent, every spiritual gift is a gift from Him. And therefore, that keeps my view of myself in proper perspective. Keeps us humble. Lord, it's all about Your grace. I'm an object of Your grace. I can't take credit for anything. But at the same time, he goes on to say this, verse 4 and 5, but yet... We are each part of the body and we are an important part of the body. We all don't have the same function. We're one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're part of something bigger than us and every one of us plays a part that is needed, incredibly needed in the body. My part is unique and necessary. Your part is unique and necessary. And if you don't do your part, if you aren't using your spiritual gift, then the whole body suffers. My son, Jeremy, was a runner in college. He ran four years in college. Good runner. And he's now graduated. And three years ago, he injured his IT band, just this one band that runs down the side of his leg. He has not been able to run for three years because of that one little part that's not working right. You see, that affects his whole body. God wants us to, to realize our part is important. Our part is unique. Our part is something that God wants to use and it's valuable and I need to use it or the whole body suffers. Dan Allender in his book, Leading with a Limp, says this, Our character requires gratitude for one's uniquely carved being. Do we delight in the strengths that are fearfully crafted into our characters? Do we bless how our strengths wondrously serve others? If we are not aware of our fearful and wondrous potential, then we probably aren't troubled by our failures or grieved by how we harm others. When we see the glory we can achieve, our choice of dross over gold will break our hearts. He says it's important we realize that we are uniquely carved, uniquely created for God's purposes. Every one of you is created by God with a unique mix of personality and backgrounds and brokenness and spiritual giftedness so that you can impact your world in a unique and special way. God has carved you the way He wants you. You may have heard the term, it's kind of, thrown out there, body awareness, body awareness. 
defined this way. It's the ability to recognize different parts of one's own body and our parts' relative positions. Body awareness is essential for performing smooth, coordinated movements and must be well-developed in those aspiring to be top-class dancers, synchronized swimmers, or gymnasts. I think what Paul is saying here is what helps you have a healthy view of yourself is body awareness. Realizing your part in the body in relation to everyone else is vitally important so that as we each are aware of that, I fit in the body, I'm important in the body, and I need all of you, then we have body awareness and we're able to have smooth, coordinated, synchronized movements as the body of Christ. That's God's plan. Again, I'm struck, I want to emphasize here, that as he talks about our view of ourself, again, he doesn't talk about feelings, how we feel about ourselves. He talks about how we think about ourselves. Again, I want to challenge us, because it's not easy for us, but I want to challenge us to not let our feelings about ourselves determine your view of yourself. That gets us into trouble. I often feel like a failure, especially after weeks like last week, Easter. I put a lot of energy into it, emotional and physical, and I'm often run down, worn out, and I feel very attacked and emotionally down. But see, I I can't let that control me. I've learned over the years that, you know what? Feelings are subject to all kinds of things, to weather, to hormones, to circumstances, to relational dynamics, to all kinds of things, but they aren't necessarily telling us the truth. Remember, they're just the low battery or the error message on the device of our hearts, so to speak, and they're a reminder, okay, I need to remind myself, these feelings aren't true, Lord, what do you say about me? And cling to that despite how we feel. That's often what God calls us to as we have a proper view of ourselves. So what is a proper view of ourselves? To summarize, everything that's good about me is a gift from God. It's all about His grace. But God has gifted me and wants to use me for His kingdom so that as I step out to use my gift, if it goes well, God gets the credit. (laughs) And why is this important? Because it's important that Our gifts are not misused. They're not meant to be used to draw attention to ourselves. They're meant to be used to glorify Him, first and foremost. So, Paul says, to be prepared to use our gifts, we submit ourselves to God, we make sure we have a proper viewer of ourselves, humble but delighted in the fact He's gifted us. And then he tells us in verse 6 through 8, how to use our gifts. Begins this way, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. He goes back to grace again. (laughs) He keeps emphasizing grace, right? And I think the first thing he wants us to know about using our gifts is depend on his grace. Gifts are used because we're dependent on God living life through us, God using us, God empowering us. God is the one who allows us to use His gifts, It's those gifts. It's all about God using us. It's about Him working through us. It's not about us. 
That's why it's good for us, and I want you to hear this very clearly, it's good for us to feel inadequate about using our gifts. If you feel like, oh yeah, I got this down, I am so good at this, and you're confident in yourself, then you are in big trouble in terms of using your gift. Whatever it is, service, helps, mercy, encouragement, any, any of those, it's good for us to have a sense of inadequacy. Lord, if you don't come through and use me here, if your grace doesn't work through me, then nothing truly good will be accomplished. If you don't feel like you need God every second, then you're maybe in trouble. So depend on grace. Lord, use me here. And I pray that a lot. Lord, nothing's going to happen unless you use me today. Please, Lord, use me. So then he says this in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, here's how to use your gift. Use them. (laughs) Just use them. Step out. Get moving. Work hard. Don't sit back and wait for someone to ask you, oh yeah, I would use my gift, but nobody ever asked me to do anything. Well, Paul's exhortation to you is, get moving. (laughs) Use it. Don't wait to be asked. In the words of Nike, just do it. (laughs) And if you don't know what your gift is, then just step out to love others and God will direct you as you do. God can easily steer a moving ship, but if it's dead in the water, He can't steer it. So just step out and start using your gift. I often use the example of Don Pettinger, who a banker came to Christ, was coming to Cole and just decided... I should probably serve somewhere. So he and Chris started serving in Sunday school, teaching the little preschoolers. And he did that for a number of years. But as he did that, he began to get a sense of how God wanted to use him in other ways. And over time, he began finding ways to use his administrative gifts here. And we ended up hiring him. So he was on staff at Cole for many years, serving as an administrative pastor. He became an elder at Cole for many years, and God used him in all kinds of ways. But it all began simply because he said, I just got to find a place to serve. And he started loving preschoolers, and God directed him as he did so. You say, well, what if it doesn't work out? What if I'm not good at it? Well, that's how you find out. Probably the best way, what's been most important for me in discovering my spiritual gifts is all the ways I've stepped out and really failed. (laughs) I've tried things. I've said, you know, Lord, I just want to serve you. I'll try something. And I find that I'm not very good at it. And and God doesn't really encourage people spiritually a whole lot through it. But that's allowed me to direct him to direct my life and allowed me to begin to discover what my gifts are and allows me to move on and, and be where I need to be. Now, God may call us to serve in areas where we're not gifted. That happens a lot. Okay, that's okay. But over time, we should gain more and more of a sense of what our spiritual gifts are. So in this passage now, he lists seven specific gifts. Now, let me say this. I don't think the list, there's four passages in the Scripture that talk about spiritual gifts, and I don't think these lists are all-inclusive. 
I think probably there's gifts that aren't listed. Let me give you a couple examples that I experience a lot. One is my wife, Jeannie. I think she has the spiritual gift of hospitality. It's not listed in the Scripture. But I've seen how she has a heart to reach out to people by providing a home, providing a wonderful meal, comfortable place for people to come and gather and have fellowship together and be encouraged spiritually. And God uses her to encourage people spiritually through her gift of hospitality. Many of you may have that gift. I think it's a wonderful, needed gift in the body of Christ. Another person that I see a gift that may not be listed in Scripture is our worship leader, Adrienne. And people like Brian as well. But just to focus on Adrienne for a moment, she's our worship pastor. And she's incredibly gifted musically. We have people come through periodically that are professional musicians. We had one last week who came to our Easter service and he came up to Adrian afterwards and he said, this was incredibly uh, tight musically. The band, the choir, everything was wonderful musically. He said, who wrote these arrangements? And she's like, well, I did. She's amazingly gifted musically, but he also said, and it was incredibly worshipful. What a combination. I've never seen this before in a church. You see, I think that's the spiritual gift. She has these music abilities, but she uses them for the Lord, and even though she's so gifted, she never draws attention to herself. Right? She focuses us on the Lord. She helps us see the Lord more clearly and worship Him. That's the spiritual gift of worship leading. And I'm sure there's others out there, but we need to realize what a gift Adrienne is to us and how we are all gifts to one another in the body of Christ. So I just want to run through these seven spiritual gifts maybe to help us understand our own gifts a little more clearly. The first one he lists is prophecy. Prophecy is speaking forth God's Word into a specific situation. Most often it's used one-on-one, where if you have that gift, you'll come up to someone and you say, you know, I think God would have me share this passage with you or this encouragement from, from Him to you. I think God is saying to your specific situation this. Sometimes it's used up front in a teaching kind of mode, someone who speaks forth God's Word to a culture or a situation. But it's, it's a gift. I, people who have the gift of prophecy have ministered to me very powerfully as I've needed to hear from God and they just come up and they share the right thing at the right time. If you have that gift, use it. But notice what he says. He says, use it according to the measure of of the faith. Now, I think what he's saying there is he says, if you have the gift of prophecy, always make sure it's in line with the faith, the word, the doctrine of truth. I think that's what he's saying there. I think that's the best way to look at the translation here. That he's saying, don't just say things that you feel like saying, but make sure what you say is in line with God's word, according to the measure of the faith. Second gift he mentions is service. Many of you have the gift of service. It's a wonderful gift. It's this ability to see physical needs 
that need, things that need to be done and stepping out to meet those needs by God's strength and by God's grace. And he says, if you have the gift of service, do it by serving. What's he mean? Get off your duff. <laughs> do it. Look for opportunities. Don't wait to be asked, but look for opportunities to meet physical needs around you. Not just in church, but in the neighborhoods, in the community, wherever God might place you, whatever He lays on your heart, get out and serve. Don't wait to be asked. The third gift He mentions is teaching. It says, hey, if you have the gift of teaching, which is opening the Word, explaining it, and applying its truths, to people's lives. It says, if you have that gift, get teaching. Do it. Now, I've heard people say, well, yeah, but I don't, I don't have any opportunity. You know, there's only a few people who teach up front and a few Bible study leaders. I don't have an opportunity to use my gift of teaching. Well, that's not true. <laughs> he says, do it. Find a place. If it means asking someone to meet with you one-on-one and studying the Bible together and learning together, that's teaching. Do it. Form a small group. Form a Bible study of your own and use your gift. Find a place and be a co-teacher with someone else, but find an opportunity to use your gift. Don't sit back and not use it. Then he says, encouragement. Wonderful gift. The work, Greek word behind it is parakaleo, where we get the word paraclete, the Holy Spirit. The word encouragement, it's translated in Scripture everything from comfort all the way to rebuke because it's this coming alongside somebody who may be struggling as they're moving with God and walking alongside them and giving them what they need, the encouragement, the comfort, maybe rebuke, whatever they need to keep them moving in the right direction with God. That's the idea of this word encouragement and And some of you have that gift and it's so well used by God to encourage others. And so he says, do it. Get encouraging. Use your gift. Find someone to encourage and walk with them in life. The next gift he mentions is giving, contributing. Wonderful gift. It's blessing others through what you have. It may be time, but most often it's through material blessing, through financial giving. Interesting what he says about that. He says, if you have the gift of giving, be generous. Why? Because I think maybe sometimes people who have the gift of giving think, well, I don't want to intrude myself, or gee, when I give, people don't respond to me, I don't get encouragement back, and so I'm kind of resentful about that, or... Or maybe people who have the gift of giving can be judgmental. Look how giving I am. Other people aren't as giving as me or whatever. And so what he says here is he says, no, don't try to figure out everything, but be generous. If you have that gift, just be generous and God will use it to bless the body of Christ. Two more gifts, leading. Leading is providing guidance, direction, and motivation for a group to keep moving towards God and move, step out and follow the Lord. It's a wonderful gift. Literally, it's to stand before and lead and encourage people to move in the right direction. And so he says, interesting, he says, if you have that gift, work hard at it. Do it with zeal, is my translation. 
What's he mean? Well, I think a leader sometimes can get lazy. And he says, no, don't be lazy. Look for opportunities and work hard. It's hard work to lead, but do it. Step out and lead if you have that gift. And then finally, mercy. Mercy is coming alongside someone who's stuck, someone who's in pain, someone who's overwhelmed by life, and to meet them where they are and help them begin to get moving again with God. And what does he say about if you have the gift of mercy? He says, if you have it, be cheerful. Interesting. Why does he say that? Well, because if you have the gift of mercy, you're involved in people's lives in the midst of the muck and the trauma and the pain and the brokenness they're dealing with. And so he says, you've got to keep the bigger perspective that God is at work and keep cheerful. You've got to remember that God is sovereign and he's using all this for good. Don't get so bogged down in the pain of life that you lose perspective. If you have the gift of mercy, it's easy to do that. So make sure you stay cheerful. You keep your perspective of God being at work. So those are just a sampling of gifts. There's many others, but hopefully that's encouraging to you just to give you a sense, wow, that could be my gift. Maybe I need to step out and start using it. So how do you find your gift if you don't know what it is? Well, as I've said, first of all, step out to serve. Just step out and God will direct you as you move ahead. He'll begin to show you. Make sure you pray about it as well. Ask God to show you what your gift is. Ask friends who know you well what your gift might be. We had a wonderful pastoral staff meeting this week where we did that. We just said, well, I think this is my gift. What do you guys think? And we gave input to one another and it was a wonderful time of encouragement. I learned some things of what people were seeing in my life that I hadn't really thought about before and it was very helpful. And if you do that with one another, it really helps you understand more what your gift is. And then ask yourself this, how am I moved to love others? How am I moved to love others? Let me give you an example. You hear about someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer and they're going to need a lot of help. How are you moved to love them? You may think, well, boy, I want to cook a meal for them. Or, I want to help them with lawn work because they're really going to need that or I need to help them in practical ways. Well, that's probably the gift of helps or the gift of service coming out. That's how you're moved to love them. Or maybe for you it's, wow, I, I, want, to, I want to spend time with them and take them to their doctor's appointments. That could be helps, that could be encouragement or mercy. Or maybe it's, I want to write notes to them and remind them of Scripture and keep them focused on who God is and the truth that's there. That might be the gift of teaching coming out or the gift of wisdom or knowledge. Or maybe for you, it's you want to do hard work to research the best treatment options and really encourage them by finding the best medical care. And so that may be a gift of perhaps knowledge or wisdom. Or maybe for you, it's simply... I want to commit myself to spend time with them regularly and be with them in the midst of this mess they're going through and encourage them along the way. That might be the gift of mercy or or encouragement. In other words, think, how do I feel drawn to love somebody in need? That can often be a real help to understanding your own spiritual gift. 
I had the privilege of spending time at the Davis Cup that's in Boise now, and I went Friday, and um, I watched the first match, Novak Djokovic, he's the number one player in the world, and he won the match over John Isner, and afterwards they interviewed him. And I thought it was really interesting what he had to say, as they interviewed him on the court there, and he, they said, well, you know, you play a lot of matches everywhere. How is the Davis Cup different than what you usually do? He said, well, tennis is an individual sport, but not the Davis Cup. The Davis Cup is a team sport. He said, in the Davis Cup, it's not about me. It's about the team. See, I think that's a wonderful perspective of us as believers. Our place in the body is not about me. It's not about us. It's about the team. It's about the body of Christ. It's about Jesus and following Him, submitting to Him, and letting Him use us according to His purposes. And as we do that, the whole body gets built up and is coordinated and functions the way God wants us to, to have an impact on a world that needs to know His love. God has given every believer at least one unique gift for loving others. And He empowers it by His Holy Spirit. So He says, use it! (laughs) Unwrap it! Don't leave it sitting on the table, but unwrap it and begin to step out and use it. The whole body needs what you have to offer. I need what you have to offer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this encouraging passage that reminds us that we are each gifted in unique and powerful ways. You've carved our lives in a way that you wanted us so that we could be used to build up the whole body of Christ. Help us be people who submit our lives to you and who have a proper view of ourselves so that we can be useful for you in the kingdom. I pray that those here who may not know right now their spiritual gift, that they would step out and begin to discover the joy of being used by you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.